Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. This, this coming weekend will actually just be a week away from it. And that's crazy. Uh, but uh, I, I prefer to call it Resurrection Sunday. But nonetheless, uh, that's coming up on us very quickly. And so please remember that. Also, remember that in the month of uh, July is our Indiana District Camp Meeting. That's the 19th through the 23rd of July, Indiana District Camp Meeting. And uh, I'm sure we have a, a spring conference that's coming up very soon in April, and I'm sure there'll be some uh, kind of final nails in the coffin for that and about um, the ability of that taking place. I guarantee you this, I know the spirit of, of Bishop Danny St. Clair, that as long as they allow that size of group on their campgrounds, we will be having camp meeting. We would have had camp meeting last year if they had allowed that size. That, that's Bishop St. Clair, and I just know the spirit of him. So uh, that's, again, the 19th through the 23rd. With that being said, somewhere along the way, then uh, registration will open. That requires money and things of that nature, so you might want to be thinking about that. If you got a stimulus, you might want to set back some for Indiana District Camp. You're saying, you know, so just something to think about. Also in the month of September, just kind of throwing that out there, people to make plans. September the 17th and the 18th is National Ministry Conference in Maryville, Tennessee. And so uh, always have a great time uh, going to men's conference. And and uh, it's like going to the Taj Mahal whenever you go to FAC Maryville down there. Uh, the half has not even been towed if you've not seen it for yourself or walked in the grand ballroom, you know, so it would seem. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's the 17th and 18th of September. And then finally, in October the 15th and the 16th is Indiana District Ladies Conference in Anderson, Indiana. And so there are just a few things for men, women, boom, family. So we've covered everybody. Uh, the kids too and, and family camp. There's things there uh, for them. So those are some dates that may be important to you. If you've never been to any of those things, if you've never been to a family camp, you've never been to a women's conference, you've never been to a men's conference, you, it's your loss. I'm seriously telling you. I know the trip sometimes there and back, and it's rigid and it's quick, because it is. It's, I'm not going to tell you it's not tiring and exhausting and all of that. But the trade-off for the services and being around people of like precious faith, whether they be men and women or families, uh, is just, just, just tremendous. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to have to live my life any other way uh, without being able. And we did last year, and so I'm ready to bite at the bit. I see the different things coming up in my calendar in the month of April of travels. I'm like, yes, just because missed out on it last year or being able to go to a conference and be preached to as the pastor missed out on that last year. And so uh, just just looking forward to it. Amen. John chapter number nine. I know you're standing verses one through seven. I want to read and then we'll skip several and read a few more. The Bible says in Jesus passed by. He saw a man which was blind from his birth and his disciples asked him saying master who did sin this man or his parents that he was born blind Jesus answered neither hath this man sinned nor his parents but that the works of God should be made manifest in him 
I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, Siloam, which is interpreted sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seen. Verse 35, skipping down. Just because I'm reading these verses late in the chapter doesn't mean we won't meander in the next few weeks all among the chapter. Okay. Jesus heard that they had cast him, speaking of this man that was blind, out. When he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? All right. Just to note that this guy isn't whacked out in the head. I mean, this is the guy that healed him, right? But he was blind. Huh? He was blind when he put the clay on there and he sent him to a pool to wash in. And then he received, and his sight came. So he's never seen him. So he's saying, you know, tell me, tell me about this guy who he is. And yeah, we might be able to go this direction. And Jesus said unto him, thou hast both seen him. Jesus bringing a little revelation to him right now. That's both seen him and is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. For a little while tonight, I want to speak to you along these lines. The reconciliation of sight and touch. The reconciliation of sight and touch. Now, the word reconciliation, that's a fancy word, right? It's a biblical word. Uh, but it's, it's the action of making uh, two things, one thing compatible with another thing. Sometimes it's making a view compatible with another view, a belief compatible with another belief. For our purposes tonight, it's, it's the uh, action of making one sense compatible with another sense, namely sight and touch, a reconciliation of sight and touch. Let's go to the Lord right now. Ask him for help. Father, I need your help tonight. God, help us, Lord, to look at the scriptures. We know, Lord, life is in them. I pray, O oh Lord Jesus, order our steps according to your word. I pray, O oh God, minister, Lord Jesus, in this place. God, help us, Lord, to center our lives around the word of the Lord. God, for in it is hope. Lord, in it is life. and it is direction and reproof and rebuke and instruction. God, I pray, O oh Lord, we need all of those things to be a part of our life. And we'll not fail to thank you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Yeah, you don't have to say it. You can be seated, you know, you know. He was waiting, though. How respectful. How respectful. Amen. On the surface, I just want to make a few sweeping statements about the entirety of this chapter, and then I'll kind of focus in on where we are tonight. On the surface, uh, when you approach this chapter, you say, well, what is chapter 9 about? Oh, it's about a blind man that was healed by Jesus. And on the surface, that's exactly what we believe and think. Uh, that this chapter is about the healing of a man who had been blind since his birth the bible uh, denotes and we think it's about that and all of the uh, uh, the interrogation of the pharisees uh, to this blind man uh, trying to find out whether or not this healing was legitimate if this man was legitimately healed or was even legitimately blind to begin with and so the, the the bulk of the chapter as we would see it on the surface deals with a blind man and then legitimacy about whether or not uh, the healing actually took place. However, this isn't just about, or it isn't about physical blindness as much as it is about spiritual sight and spiritual blindness. John gives two verses I want to point out to you, verse 6 and 7. 
he gives two verses to the actual miracle of the blind man. And then the majority of the chapter is the enlightenment of this same man's spiritual eyes and underscoring the apparent blindness of the Pharisees that called this whole miracle in question to begin with. Because when we look at the story, and I'm just going to throw a few verses out there. If you have your Bibles open, that's fine. They don't necessarily have to go up on screen, just for your reference. The blind man has went through a sense of progressions in his eyesight in a spiritual sense, becoming just as enlightened as they did in the natural sense. Because the blind man went from recognizing Jesus in verse 11 as a man to around verse number 17, recognizing him as a prophet, to verse number 27, 28, uh, speaking in terms to the Pharisees, are you going to become his disciples as well, which puts him in the spot as though he was a disciple, which meant that he revered this man, this prophet, then as his rabbi or his teacher. And then he says in verse 33 that this man is of God, speaking of Jesus Christ. Then around verses 35 through 38, he begins to believe him to be the son of God. And then ultimately in verse number 38, the Bible teaches us that this man falls down and worships Jesus as God. And so there is a spiritual enlightenment that's not just, that, that probably mirrors pretty well his physical enlightenment, but there's a spiritual uh, going from blindness to sight that's taken place in scripture. He's seen him firstly as a man. And when it's all said and done, he recognizes him through his worship as God. Now, folks, that's eyes being open. That's eyes being open. Yet on the same hand, we have the Pharisees whose knowledge of this man, Christ Jesus, becomes a little darker. The Pharisees are those that believe they know who Jesus is. Right. And that they believe they know who God is. Right. And there is no uh, carrying over or intersection between the two in their mind's eye. They believe they know what they know. They know the law. They know what it says. Da, 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 da. They know things. That's as my daughter says sometimes. Dad, I know things. Well, they 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 know things. All right. But it seems like their knowledge becomes a little bit darker concerning the true reality of who Jesus is, because when 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 they saw Jesus, they saw him in verse 16 as a man who was not of God. And then in verse 16 and also verse 24, they go to this to Stephen say that this man, Jesus, was a sinner. And then they admit that they, they, they don't know where Jesus was from, although we have plenty of scripture even prior to this point. We've already studied that he constantly told them, I'm from above, I'm from the heavenly, I'm from my father, and yet they admittedly say they know not where Jesus was from. Their sight, folks, is gradually just becoming darker. They thought they could see. What we have really in Scripture are a couple things that is happening because these leaders claim that the man was born blind physically and also the disciples are wondering because of sin that was either in his life or in his parents' life, something that had happened, something that was done. So we have them claiming that this man, because of sin, this is the blindness that's come upon his life. But they also claim that the man's healer is, is a sinner. We got I mean, just think here with me for a moment. So you're like you are because you sin, and if there, was a, if there was a healing that took place, your healer's a sinner. 
Well, my God, why didn't the man just lay hands on himself then? You know, if that's all it was, if it just needed a sinner to pray for him, you know? And, and, and not only that, when we actually look a little bit more carefully, we understand that they were in reality the ones that were both sinful and also blind spiritually. Because on one hand, through John chapter number nine, a man grows in his spiritual sight. And then on the other hand, we have a group of people, namely the Pharisees, that diminish in their spiritual sight. He's not of God. He is a sinner. And both of them are confronted by Jesus. And the blind in two ways, literally and spiritually, is made to see. And those that thought they could see were made blind. And so the healing of the blind man, that's what we're about, right? But the, 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 the bulk of it is a whole lot larger than just a physical healing. The healing of the blind man is the sixth notable sign in the Gospel of John. There are seven. We're not yet to the last, but we have already seen five leading up to this. But this is the sixth notable sign in the Gospel of John. And as it has been historically thus far in the Gospel of John, almost with every sign that Jesus does, the big picture that Jesus is trying to convey through his signs is he wants people to understand who he is whether it's turning water into wine whether it's healing the man by the pool of Bethesda all that he's really trying to convey in the moment of the sign is he's trying to convey to people who he really is and John understands this and John continues to give us double meaning here through the gospel he has done this on several occasions where something has a natural meaning but it has a spiritual meaning as well John John writes his gospel as a two-sided coin natural and spiritual and he does the same in John chapter number nine. He's given us these double meanings with events and double meanings with phrases that he pins to page all throughout the gospel. And here again, John has showed us that blindness in part has been on two levels. There was a literal blindness that this man had been born with. He was born blind and he was healed but more importantly, there was a man here that was also born blind on a spiritual level, really to the reality of the man Jesus Christ and who he really was, right? Amen. And so we read this in John 20 in verse number 31. Speaking of signs, again, John 20 verse 31 is really the key verse for all the whole book of the gospel of John. And this is what it says, but these, but these and when it says these, it's speaking of signs. Uh, in John 20, uh, Jesus has just, he's resurrected, he's met with his disciples, he showed him, showed them the, 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 where the spear went in his side, the, the nail prints in his hands. He says, but, but these, speaking of signs, and I would like to even include, it's not just the signs of, of his resurrection, but even all signs that we have record of in the book of John. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Because the objective of the signs, again, was so that people might see Jesus for who he was. And it was so that they might believe in him and that they might have life through him. Because ultimately we know from the Gospel of John that Jesus came to save the lost, right? But our choosing, or say my choice, but our choosing, right? Our choosing will regard us when it's all said and done whether or not we were saved or whether we're judged and condemned. 
He wanted to save us, but our choosing kind of shifts the pendulum in either direction of whether it's salvation or condemnation based upon our choosing. The Bible says in John 9 and verse 39, and Jesus said, for judgment I am come into this world that they which see not might see and that they which see might be made blind. Really, Jesus has kind of given us the overview of this whole chapter number nine. It's more than just literal blind man being healed. So we begin to ask ourselves the question because of other things that we have studied in the book of John. We have the grand, uh, everybody knows John 3, 16, but then we follow up the John 3, 17. How do we reconcile him saying for, I, I, for judgment am I coming to the world with for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved how, how do we reconcile these things Mr. McLaren I believe says it best when he says this he says Jesus he comes not to judge but his coming does judge comes not to judge, but his coming does judge. What are you saying tonight, Pastor McGee? I'm saying this. Where did we ever get the idea that being saved is separate from sin being judged and iniquity being condemned? Huh? Where did we ever get the idea that saved is separated, a different work apart from sin being judged? and iniquity being condemned. Because if that's our idea of being saved, of sin not being judged, I have to worry about it. Whoo, I'm saved. He's take, we've somehow started to look at Calvary that we're coming up on very quickly. We're looking at Calvary with rose-colored glasses because that was the example of judgment, Calvary was, and condemnation on the tree. But ladies and gentlemen, through that horrific act, was also salvation. Woo, someone say amen. We live, and I, I, I'm telling you, I tell you already in my office today, I felt like maybe a little preach might come out in me here tonight. Amen. But we live in perilous times because the generation in which we live, we're in the generation where people want saved without sins being judged. They want, they want to be saved without iniquity being condemned. They've lost the idea that the only reason they can be saved is because all our sins have been judged and our iniquities have been condemned. Someone all right tonight? I'm sorry as much as I can be tonight if people become uncomfortable whenever pastors and teachers and people stand in pulpits and they preach about sin. But I will tell you this. If you're uncomfortable when we preach about sin, you're not near as uncomfortable as you would have been if you had to suffer the punishment for your sin. Hallelujah. Amen. I don't suffer the punishment for my own sin necessarily and my iniquity isn't necessarily condemned for me to receive the condition. He took the condemnation. He took, if you will, all the rest, uh, amen, of the judgment of sin so that I could be saved. But if I reject being saved, I take the condemnation on myself. If I reject being saved, I take the sin on myself. I'm not taking it right now. You know the only thing we have to do as children of God, and I'm not trying to make it more simplistic than it is, but it is quite simple. Repentance is a small gesture for mirroring and paralleling his gruesome death. 
Repentance is a small gesture for trying to emulate what happened on woo, on Calvary's hill. But we want saved today without having to repent. Listen, there is only, someone say amen. amen. There's only one way to rise above this judgment and this condemnation. Jesus, he, he echoes again in verse number five. He's, he's hitting the same nail over and over again. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He says, as long as I'm in it, I am the light of the world. And the brilliance of the light, all right, and I'm speaking about him, the brilliance of the light, which he is, reveals all the hidden deeds of darkness. We talked about this a little bit before. He came to save, but he his simple coming brings light to everything that's hidden, to everything that's secretive, that, that's everything that's been done in the shadows in our life. And that's the reason why he said back in John 3 that men love darkness rather than light because they like to keep their secret deeds and their secret sins and all of the hidden things in the shadows stay hidden in the shadow and stay in the darkness. But whenever you embrace light, light exposes and when light exposes what it exposes, what's going to be done with what is exposed? Somebody's got to take it to the tree. Yes, by means of repentance. So there's only one way tonight, folks, to rise above this judgment, to rise above this condemnation. There's only one way, if you will, to escape the darkness, and that is this. We must walk in the light because in him, is no darkness at all. And to walk in the light is as Paul wrote to the Romans, it is to walk in the newness of life. Because John even told us more than once that he was the light, Jesus was, Jesus was the light of life. And in order to walk in the light, you're walking in the light where there's no darkness. To walk in the light is to walk in the newness of life. What are you talking about? Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. Walking in newness in life, as Roman describes, is prior to walking in the newness. You are buried with him by baptism. By the same measure that he died, you die through repentance. Someone say Glory. John 1, 1 John 1, 7. It's getting too hot for corduroy. It says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship. One with another. That's great. And, everybody say and. And the blood. Huh? You see what's happening when we get in the light? It's dealing with the things that would condemn it's dealing with the things that would judge. He says when you get in fellowship with him and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What are you saying? I'm saying our deeds. We are cleansed from the deeds of darkness and the hidden secrets of our past. If we get walking in the light, if we'll walk in the newness of his life through repentance, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Can someone say glory? I like what Jesus said. He said, as long as I'm in the world, he says, I am the light of the world. I said, well, this is our world. They tell me, my science kid over here, Trevor, tells me that there's, there's other galaxies out there and universes and 
planetary systems, solar systems, and so on and so forth. And sometimes we talk about, you know, the life that we live in. Well, you're not, you're not in my world. Let me, just, let me just speak this side of it real quick. He says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So, friend, you label your world whatever it is. You label it sickness. You label it disease. You label it turmoil. You, lo- you label it financial struggle. And if you can get him in that world. Somebody hear me right now. He says, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light. My God, if he would just shed some right, right, light right now on some financial needs and shed some light right now on some physical needs and shed some light right now on dysfunctional families, if you'll invite him to be a part of the world, he'll be the light of the world. He'll be the light of it. There doesn't seem to be any break. I'm probably not going to even get finished with this lesson tonight. There doesn't seem to be any break in the passage of time from chapter number eight to chapter number nine. If you look at the last verse of chapter number eight, remember, he's just left the temple. People are taking up stones to throw at him. And the Bible reads like this in the last verse of chapter number eight. Speaking of Jesus, he went out of the temple going through the midst of them. Look at the wording here. And so pass by. The next chapter opens up. And as Jesus passed by. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man. So this miracle that happens in chapter 9 is quite presumably happening within the bounds of Jerusalem in which he's been teaching, in which they've been desiring to take him, but no one's laid a finger on him. In this place where he has done other miracles already. And the paradox, here's the paradox of the scripture. The paradox is this, that those that claim to know the most about the Lord and his laws are standing with stones clenched in their fist, ready to stone Jesus All the while, this blind man, which we learn later in verse number 8, most blind people were a beggar. Most blind people, that was their livelihood, begging. We read in verse number 8, they even the neighbors assume and say that he was a beggar. So you have those that know them, supposedly, those that have their eyes open, supposedly, that know most about him and his law, have their hands filled with rocks, ready to stone him, and yet he passes by this blind beggar with his hand out, empty, waiting to receive something. Those that know the most are wanting to stone. The one that couldn't even see is wanting something from him. Oh, God Almighty, God Almighty. Hallelujah. Possibly empty hand that was extended to the Lord. And so Jesus passed by the people that thought they could see him, thought they knew everything there was to know about him. He passes by them, and it seems as though he'll pass by this man, but the Bible seems to indicate he evidently stopped. He passed by the stone clinchers and stopped by the empty handed with the hand out. Because Jesus in this moment saw a man that could not see him. 
Jesus, Brother Terry, took note of a man as a blind beggar that may have been in a posture to receive, which was contrasting and quite different from those who supposedly knew everything about him. Someone say amen. Here's the fact between the two of the leaders of those that attested to knowing him. Here's the difference between the two. Blind people. In this episode, blind people, this blind man needed help. But the seeing people couldn't admit that they needed any help. You'll see in John 9, they start to talk about everything they know. Well, we know he's a sinner and we know this and we know that. You know, it's hard to tell somebody anything when they know everything. They really don't, but they are not going to admit that they don't. While the blind man over here says, I don't know. I can't even see you. I need help. Someone say amen. And he really pictures the whole economy of God concerning mankind because all mankind at their core is really in need of help. Amen. And so amazingly, both Jesus and the disciples, they saw the blind man. Right? No doubt, uh, the disciples may have been a little late. We don't really notice. It seems as though Jesus seen him first, and then they kind of picked up on it and, and recognized him as well, and attention is drawn to him. I know I probably preached and taught some of this stuff before, but it was fitting in so good today with John 9, and that is this. Jesus, the Bible says, saw, look at it there in the first verse. He saw a man, the way that John describes it. He saw a man which was blind from his birth. Let's just stop at one spot right here. Jesus saw a man. And then kind of like a side note, John says, who happened to be blind from his birth. In other words, Jesus didn't see a blind man. Firstly, he saw a man. He saw a man that, by the way, happened to be blind. <laughs> it wasn't that blindness wasn't considered by Jesus. It just wasn't the main focus of Jesus. He saw a man. While the disciples, you read on, you read on, verse number two, they say unto him, Master, who did sin this man or his parents that he was born blind? The disciples, on the other hand, are concentrating more on the blindness then they are the man that happens to be blind. The disciples see the condition while Jesus sees the person. Jesus saw the man as in need, right? But the disciples see the man as somewhere in the past someone's made a mistake. Oh, God, help me. They walk into our church, and it already starts to decide sometimes our spiritual sight about whether we see them as those in need or as those that have made the mistake. Oh, God, help me. Hallelujah. <laughs> and until we start seeing them as the man and the woman that happened to be an alcoholic. 
the man and the woman that happened to be the drug addict. Because here's the fault of the matter. The disciples are like, Lord, what should we do? He's blind. Where are we, go? we need to figure out how this happened. Jesus says, why don't we correct what the condition is first? Because you would spend all day trying to figure out what happened and keep him in this position of being blind. But if we can alter the condition first, we can then maybe look back and see what happened. He's saying you got the cart before the horse. You want to figure out how he got here. He says, I'm telling you, he's here. So why don't we offer some sight? Why don't the light of the world step into his world? My God, how in the world did they get so lost? My God, how in the world did they get so far from God? My God, how in the world did they get doing drugs that often or drinking that much? That's not the question we ask. The, the, the answer is this. If they're sitting on the pew, who cares what made them like they are? First, let's get them like he is. We can get to all of that. I understand you. I understand you want to figure that out so they don't fall down some slippery slope and follow a path they followed before. I get it. But if we don't attend to the condition, see the man, and you're talking about the condition, want to figure out how it came, why don't we deal with it? You know, similar thing happened whenever. Paul's shipwreck happened in Acts chapter 27 and chapter 28. You know, they all swam to the Isle of Melita. And the Bible says that they were gathering sticks for a fire. And uh, as Paul was gathering some sticks and throwing on the fire, a viper came out of the fire and latched onto his hand. The Bible says the barbarians that were sitting there said, Lo and behold, this man no doubt has done some great evil. Yeah. They even called him, he must be a murderer. He survived the sea, but the snake has got him. He's getting exactly what he deserves. Here's the reason for it. And then Paul, he shakes the, the, the beast off into the fire. And the Bible says when he should have swollen up and, and something started happening, the same barbarians, they said, man, this man is a murderer. They say, well, he must be a god. What are they doing? They're trying to analyze how it happened. Or how it became severe. Or when it should have. The need, though for Paul's sake, he had, to, he had to shake his own serpent off the fire. No one came to help him. They were too busy talking about how it happened. Or why it. Huh? Can you imagine? Modern day, Brother Malone, we're out here, you know, in, in late, late uh, uh, fall, and we're having our, 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 our hayride and weenie roast, and all of a sudden a, 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 a snake gets a hold of your hand. Let's say it's venomous, and we're all sitting there on our straw bells saying, well, what in the world he did? Calls this come about. Where did that come from? You know, he's over there foaming at the mouth. Don't mind that. You know, falling on the ground. You see what, I, see what I'm saying here? We get things all cattywampus sometimes. We want to we figure it out rather than attending to the need. Everybody doing okay? 
saying is this, said, the little boy said, Father, he said, the cows are in the corn now. However, did they get in there? Father said, the boy said, boy, said, never mind how they got there. Let's hurry up to get them out. But all the questions were poised or posed rather toward the blind man. Then after this great happening, how were your eyes opened? Did it involve a touch? Yes. Pharisees are asking all these, you know, those that are enlightened, asking all the questions. Isn't it amazing? Those that know so much are awful sporty with the questions now, aren't they? How were your eyes opened? Did it involve a touch? Yes. Did it involve a command? Well, well, yes. Did it involve washing? Well, Yes. But more importantly, the blind man said this. Listen to me. Rather than all the dynamics of the how and the ends and the what's. And the, he said, more importantly, when I couldn't see. When I lived in a world of darkness. When I was subject to begging for everything that I got. When I couldn't see Jesus. Jesus saw me. Whereas I was blind. Now. Now I see. You want to know how it all came about? He says, listen, this is the best part of the story. This was me. This is me now. This is what I would. This was the condition. This is how I'm free from the condition now. You know, we're, we're not allowed when we go into prison to ask any of the prisoners their story. We're not allowed to ask. If they want to, like, why are you here? If they want to offer that of their own, you know, bearing and, and, and mindset, that is fine. But we're not allowed to ask. I think that's really good. Because sometimes we want to get caught in the munitia, the details. It was long before, weren't we were in Mississippi? One time it was long before there was, a, uh, there was a gentleman that was there. It was in a women's prison, but he was there, and he was taking pictures, and he was kind of, uh, because of quote-unquote good behavior, he was able to do this in a women's prison. He was a prisoner as well, though a male, and uh, he was taking pictures on that, and, man, you know, people were cutting up with him as we do. We try to make friends, all this stuff. Prayed with him, all this stuff, until in a later session, he wants to share his story with everybody. The women are gone right now. He wants to steer his shores of everybody. And he begins to tell us how he killed seven people. All of them were members of his family. Now, I'm telling you, it had been enough that that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have influenced me of had praying for him earlier. But some people can't know the details because they'll change their mentality toward the need. So, I am not going to get finished. I mean, I'm the little train in the back corner of my mind that says, I think I can, I think I can. But that's not good. The blind man, and I'm talking about the literal blind man here, and I guess if you'd also say the spiritually blind man at this point. I think this is important for us tonight. The blind man was reduced because of his blindness to the necessity of guiding himself and his life by and through the lower sense of touch. Couldn't see. He had to feel his way through life. Sister Malin, as a result of that. 
He had to live life by what he could feel. Oh, okay. Right? Searches for the cup, grabs it, touches it to his lip. Right? He could live his life by what he could feel. He could not see Jesus. Okay? We, 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 we've, we've come to that, that, that awareness. He could not see Jesus. But note, whenever Jesus first approaches him, he has had conversation with his disciples. But he's not said one word to the man. He's discussed with his disciples. He spoke to his disciples. And the Bible says in verse 6, and when he has spoken, speaking to his disciples, when he has thus spoken and said that I, as long as I'm in the light of the world, I, you know, blah, blah, blah. The Bible says he spat on the ground, made clay of spittle. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. He didn't address the blind man verbally. Instead, he spat on the ground. Someone's already thinking here. Imagine you're getting the best spit you ever had, folks. Down there on the old ground, you're whirling around with your hand. You're picking up a clump. And he says it anointed his eyes because the word anoint literally means smear. He smeared it on his eyes. So instead of speaking to him, the first thing that he does is touches him. Many's drawn conclusions about Jesus putting clay on the man's eyes. Again, the man has been blind since birth. So this is important, I think, to understand. Jesus is not restoring sight. Jesus is creating sight. Had this man lived so many days in his life with, with sight and then lost his sight and became blind, Jesus would be restoring sight. But this man has been blind from birth. There's not a day in his life that he's seen anything. He's lived his whole life by feeling stuff. And so whenever Jesus does what he does, again, he's not restoring. He is creating. He's mixing saliva from his mouth with dirt of the ground and makes clay and takes it to the man's face. Some, some formation here he's putting on this man's face. And that starts to almost remind us of the creative work of God from the beginning. Because the Bible records in Genesis 2 and verse number 6, in the beginning, we're talking about God. See, right here we're talking about the man Christ Jesus. That everybody's seeing in his flesh, Jesus. I'm talking about God. The Bible says, but there went up a mist from the earth and it watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. We got mist on the ground. And the dust of the ground itself. He grabs that. All right. And he breathed. He forms man of this water and mud. Water and dirt. He forms man of that. Breathes into him. He becomes a living soul. Here Jesus takes saliva, water, from his own mouth. Mixes it with the earth. And forms something clay-like. And I don't know. The scripture leaves us really quite void. I don't know if the man never had eyes in his sockets. And maybe he made clay and put it in his eyes. And the washing was just the purification and the finality and culmination of the miracle. But I do know this. God was created in the beginning. And Jesus as God was creating in John 9. Someone say amen. 
Oh, God. And so, so he does, does this act here, and he smears that up on his face. Now, Lord, you didn't talk to him, but the first thing you did was touch him. I submit to you tonight that Jesus touched the man because his whole life had been guided, discerned, known primarily by what he felt. Jesus touched him because the man could identify with that better than he could identify with anything else. <laughs> Someone say amen. He touched this man who's lived his days in darkness. Done by what he could feel. And so God, he, through Christ Jesus, touches him. Listen, listen. If I could just parallel something, whenever they come into our lives, there's many people, many people, many people that the only life that they lived to this point in their life is spiritual darkness. The only life that they have lived, they have been born in a sense, brother, brother Trout, they have been born blind in a sense, in a spiritual sense. And they have lived, listen to me right now, they have lived their life by how it feels. They have lived their life by how it feels. They've done what they've done based upon how it feels. Amen. If it feels good, the old terminology was what? Then good. They have lived their life by the lower, if you will, senses of their body of how it feels. But I've had some of those same people that's been blind from birth come in an apostolic Pentecostal service and the Spirit of God began to move. They didn't know anything about God. It would seem like they wouldn't know how to recognize him if he was standing before him but something happened in their soul and their spirit and they left that night speaking these words I've never felt anything like I felt tonight you know what God did he came down and touched him the very way that they had been leading their lives through feeling he came down and touched them and they leave saying I've never felt That is Sister Brenda Wendell. Bless her heart. I guess we could have had like a, you know, put her on speakerphone. And Sister Brenda, I love you. The irony of the situation is if you was here, you'd been your phone going off. Amen. So the God shares an aspect of himself that this man can identify with. He allows him to feel him first. It's no different reproach. I know I'm going to try to say this after all that, right? There's no different approach, though, even after the resurrection. Even after Jesus' resurrection. He goes into the room where his disciples are, right? He walks through the wall, walks into the room, and they're like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Bogus. It's like Bill and Ted's ex-adventure all over again. Righteous dude. 
And in Luke 24, 39, this is what he says. Look now. He says, behold my hands and my feet. They're still somewhat blind. Listen to me. They're still somewhat blind because the word behold is actually see, look. Look, my hands and my feet. They're still somewhat blind, even post-resurrection. And so then he kind of backs up a little bit. He says, see that it is I, I myself. He backs up a little bit. Then he says, handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. They'd suppose they were just purely seeing a spirit right here. But he wants to convince them that indeed it is him. So he starts out. He's like, look at me. Look at the hands. No, no, no. Then he backs up and says, hold on. You're still a little blind, are you? You're still a little blind, are you? He says, then touch me. Handle me. Put, put your hand in the side and put your hand in the nail prints. Because he's dealing with them as a generation that was struck with blindness. So he says, handle me and see. Touch me and see. God, that through your life you have perceived everything through what you could feel. So, so feel me and then you will see and you'll know me. Because God has a way of touching people so that they might touch him. He takes us by progressions. Man, it's already 46. He's taking them by progressions. I can't do this to you good people. I could, but I won't. I'll set us up for next week. He's taking this man by progressions. Because what the man was feeling right now in the moment. In verses 35 and downward, he would soon see. What he felt here, he would see. For that matter, Brother Terry, he was going to see better than those that had studied the law. Had up to this moment even saw. And he'll begin to reconcile. Man, this is going to have to go on next week. Or what is next week? I'll be gone next week. With that being said, Brother Zach McGee will be your teacher next week. If he hasn't forgotten. We try to write down pieces of paper and hand them out or put them down. So I, I, I just trust that they remember. But this is your week in advance notice. But we're going to find then in the closure that he's going to begin to reconcile what he felt with what he saw. And the power of that is going to be that he falls down once he understands who he is and sees who he is. He's going to fall down and worship him. A man. A God who made himself. He's going to worship him as God. And he's going to reconcile what I felt when I couldn't see it. It looks like exactly what I felt. Oh, man. It makes me want to go and do it, but stand with me. They say there's life and death and the power in the tongue. And so whenever you say it's not going to happen tonight, then it probably won't. Oh, God. Man, I have felt the Holy Ghost here tonight. Shoo. If we can just bow our heads across this building this evening.
My Lord, my Lord, my Lord. God, I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, tonight, God, we come to you, Lord, first and foremost. God, in states of being, Lord, blind from birth. God, maybe not literally, but spiritually, Lord, we come blind from birth. God, and I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, help us, Lord, by means of progressions to come to revelations of, of a man, of a prophet, of being of God, of being God. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, today, help us, oh, Lord, and God, whether we are the one, Lord, that is blind or whether we're those that have now received our sight clearly as others walk in that's been blinded. Help us, oh, Lord, to handle, Lord, to handle things appropriately. Help us, God, to ask the right questions or attend to the right needs. I pray, oh, God, to underscore, Lord, the, the, the things and embolden the things that need to be underscored and embolden. Help us, Lord, to prioritize right, God, with the dealings of those lord jesus that are without spiritual sight i pray oh god tonight lord help us lord to reconcile lord through our lives god what we see god with what we first felt because you met lord many if not all of us on that first level of what we felt something we never felt before an experience a tingling almost like a high that uh, but better than the high that our drug gave us lord we all being dealt with with how lord it felt god and help us to reconcile the two god of who you are and who i perceived that you were the first time that i felt you god i pray oh lord be with us lord as we go our separate ways tonight god many more days to come lord jesus lead us lord jesus on this journey god that of 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 our lord jesus judgment and condemnation yes but salvation and salvation came because there was judgment and condemnation of sin on a tree and it's my meager lord plea of repentance god i pray oh lord that makes it effective salvation effective the blood effective oh lord jesus personally for me it's the plying of the blood to my door and my lintel oh lord jesus i pray oh god tonight god be with your people this week god strengthen them help them to walk in the light as you are the light and they'll have fellowship with one another god i pray oh lord and that their sins can be cleansed by the blood of christ jesus the one in whom they walk with and will not fail to thank you and praise you for it in the name of jesus christ that i pray hallelujah and amen and the church say amen amen god bless you y'all make it so tempting god bless you in jesus name Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.